and not just to sing of his grace in church on Sunday, but all through the week. May our lips give praise to his name always. Take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 6 and the first seven verses. As we get to this passage in the scriptures, we estimate that the church of Jerusalem now was over 20,000 people. The Spirit of God filling the apostles and many of the disciples and preaching, teaching the Lord Jesus Christ. A number were being saved. The church is growing exponentially. But with growth comes problems. We are, after all, sinners saved by grace. We are still frail, broken, imperfect people. And so we, as we look here, we see that as the church grows, there were just logistically some great needs. There were some widows being neglected in the daily ministration of the church. We've seen earlier in the book of Acts that some would sell their possessions and bring the price and lay it at the apostles' feet. We see Ananias and Sapphira wanting the praise of men, lied to men and to God, laying at the apostles' feet a part of the price of the land, but indicating that they were giving the full amount. We know that Barnabas uh, sold land and laid at the apostles' feet because there were many needs. You remember that many of these who were saved at Pentecost in the few days after that had come from other regions, other countries. And now the only church was at Jerusalem and they were staying there and they were growing and they were learning and they were being used of God, but they had needs. And now we also see that some of these who were saved and, and truly in need were widows. And so of the monies that were distributed by the apostles to those in need, we see that there comes, there arises a need. So let's read our text and then let's look this morning at the example of spirit-filled church leadership and a spirit-filled church how they faced a new situation and a new problem. In verse 1, the Bible says, And in those days when a number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pro Procurus, and Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. And when they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The first thing that I want you to see as an example that we need to follow is that the leadership there acknowledged the problem. It came back to them that some of the Grecian, and by Grecians it means Hellenistic Jews. They had, they had taken on some of the, the Greek philosophy. Um, they, had, they would speak the Greek language. They'd been immersed in that culture. Yes, they were Jews. They were in Jerusalem in that area. But they converted really uh, from, from kind of Grecian philosophy and even uh, worshiping a pantheon of false gods and turned to Christ just like many of the Jews 
uh, turn from trying to rely on the works of the law to save them and turn to Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah as their only hope of redemption and salvation. And so some of these who were the Hellenistic Jews, uh, they were being neglected in the daily ministration. So the leadership acknowledged the problem. We find another admonition in taking care of widows in 1 Timothy 5, 3 and 4. Paul writes to Timothy in instruction for the church at Ephesus and says, Honor widows that are widows indeed, but if any widow have children or nephews, or it could also be translated grandchildren, let them first show pity at home and requite their parents, for it is as good and acceptable before God. Paul's just simply giving some instruction there, that if there are widows within the body of Christ in a local church, that the first obligation is not that the church immediately comes to their financial aid, but that that is the responsibility of parents and our children, of family, of relatives. And so let me encourage those of us who may have family widows or widowers that are part of our immediate family that we would take on that responsibility and ask God to help us to give us wisdom in ministering to them and helping them maybe with some choices they'll need to make through these life changes and helping to support them financially and in other ways logistically as they're physically able to do less that we would invest time with them uh, to show honor to them and to help them. But those that are widows indeed, those who did not have family, those who did not have that immediate help, the church is to come alongside and we are to help. And not just with financial needs, but even as we heard Janine's testimony this morning, there are abundant, multifaceted needs that widows and widowers have. And that's one of the reasons we want to have this Fellowship of Widows ministry, not just to meet the needs of our ladies here at Berean who are widows, but ladies in our community that need that friendship, that help, and that encouragement, and to see how God will use that in their lives. Watch them to see some things. They took this complaint seriously. It was a legitimate area of concern. So they didn't say, ah, you're just making up stuff, right? Uh, no, it was a legitimate area of concern. Now, do we listen to every complaint? Well, we should listen, but do we take every complaint seriously? Well, if you're griping because you don't like the color of the paint on the wall, well, that may be one thing, right? Um, it may be preferences that uh, aren't necessarily truly matters of urgent concern but this was a legitimate concern that, that these ladies were part of the body of christ they were truly in need they needed help and they were being overlooked i don't believe again i don't believe that this was a purposeful thing but the, the apostles did not dismiss this out of hand they looked into it you know we are we're we're that kind of brings up this point we're not perfect we all fail you know the apostles if you study through the Gospels, you see that the apostles are not perfect, right? And just because they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit didn't mean they were perfect and then they stopped being fallible human beings. All of us have areas of limitation. There are things maybe that we fail in, things that we miss that we should have seen. And it could be, and I'm asking you as pastor that if there is an area where you are seriously concerned, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, kind of preferential things, Right? Uh, but I'm talking about like needs like this, where needs are, are being neglected or areas of ministry are not being done well, where there is a need to pay attention to some areas maybe where we have grown slack or that we are missing some area of ministry uh, that should be going on or should be done in a different manner because there are scriptural issues here going on. 
then please bring that to the attention of those who can do something. You say, well, then where would I start? If you know what care group you're in, start with your care group leader. Your care group leader or a deacon in mo- or assistant in most cases are uh, on the deacons or they've been deacons and they understand uh, the avenues and channels through which these concerns need to be shared. We cannot meet needs. We cannot address problems of which we are ignorant. And we are fallible. And we miss things. We try our best by the grace of God to anticipate things and to meet needs and to serve and to build a ministry for the honor and glory of the Lord that accomplishes the Great Commission. But we are fallible. And that should be expected. If you ever find a perfect church, (laughs) tell me about it. I'd like to see it. Someone has said, tongue-in-cheek, if you find a perfect church, don't go there or you'll mess it up. (laughs) No, there's no perfect church. We know that, right? And there are no perfect pastoral staffs either. We need your help. We want to strengthen the body of Christ. We want to reach this community with the gospel. Now, we can't take everybody's idea for a new ministry and do it right away. Some may not be feasible or may not be feasible right now. One of the reasons why we brought on Pastor Blake as our associate pastor of ministry development and outreach is so that through him, he can kind of administrate that, facilitate that, keep folks accountable, see what they need. We come back as a pastoral staff. We discuss that with the deacons and we work together. But Pastor Blake kind of is going to be heading that up. Um, And so it helps us to to better see those needs and, and where we may be are uh, falling short or slacking off in some area and strengthening those. And maybe it's not a matter that we don't have a ministry, but maybe you feel like you're, you are, are missing some sort of support or help um, or resource. Let us know that. We can't provide everything, but we want to do our best to provide all we can and to equip you as fully as we can to do legitimate work of the ministry. And when there are legitimate concerns, we need to know about them. Understand that sometimes in leadership, and those of you that have, worked, that, that have worked a job anywhere, understand that oftentimes leadership's a little hesitant to acknowledge that there's even a problem, to really believe that that problem exists or that it's as serious as it's being expressed. But every ministry has areas of weakness, and we need to seriously consider every legitimate concern. You see, Satan tries to use situations like this to sow discord among the brethren and cause division. I'll give you a little illustration. We have kids that are in Christian school. We have kids that go to public school. We have kids that are homeschooled. That is up to the decision of the parents and what they believe is the best way in discipling their children. So sometimes Christian school, hey, let's get them in a biblical environment with a biblical philosophy so that all that they're learning academically is filtered through Christian atmosphere where they're in more of a protected atmosphere to help prepare them for future ministry. Others say, no, hey, listen, we, we want our kids to be in the world, not of the world. We want our kids to be prepared for reaching out with the gospel. We're going to put them into public school. We're going to carefully, personally keep up and follow with them and have daily discussions and disciple them and help them to face through these battles so that when they graduate from high school, they are ready to continue in the quote-unquote real world, whatever that is, 
uh, uh, to, to be able to minister the gospel and to take a stand and to minister for Christ in that kind of a world and, and to reach our world with the gospel. Amen. And then there are those who are homeschoolers who say, hey, listen, we want to do all of those things, but hey, why would we entrust the education and discipleship of our kids to a Christian school or to the philosophy of public school? We are going to take on that responsibility and we're going to homeschool. And you say, Pastor Todd, which one is right? And my answer is yes. But... Even something like that could cause division within a church, right? And there are other things that can cause division. Satan wants to take anything he can, even our auditorium renovation. Now, listen, there's, I'm not addressing a problem that, does, that, that exists, all right? No one has said to me, hey, listen, I'm going to leave the church because you're going to be changing the lighting, you know? Or I don't think that's the right use of our funds and this and that. Now, if that's happening, I don't know about it. And if you've heard of that, come and tell me. Uh, I would like to go to that person and explain why we're doing what we're doing um, and see if that might be a reason, uh, there might be an opportunity for us to reconcile uh, them in their minds with what we are doing so, because we don't want to limit them from being able to be here and wholeheartedly be a part of the ministry here. But you under, you've heard the joke about churches ha- having, having splits over the color of the carpet when they go to change the carpet and churches splitting over that. And you know what? I actually, I can tell you, I can verify historically there are churches that I know of that have actually had, had a church split over the color of the carpet when they went to, to, to redo their auditorium. It's ridiculous. Amen. But Satan will do anything he can to divide the church. And then when it comes to there being legitimate needs and legitimate concerns within the ministries of the church, like this was here in the church at Jerusalem where some of the widows were, maybe inadvertently, maybe it was kind of a, a subtle, purposeful thing. You see, the, 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 the Hebrew, the, the Hebrews, as it's talking about here, were the, were the Aramaic or the Hebrew-speaking Jews. They would have been more conservative. They would have been closer to, they'd have been, you know, kind of saved out of, uh, out, of, out of Judaism and out of keeping the law, and they would have believed those commandments and all of that. And then, you know, the Grecians would have come from a much more liberal philosophy and saved out of, out of more of a, of, a, of a heathen kind of a mentality. And so maybe there was a little bit of purposeful neglect. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know. So whether it was purposeful on some level or inadvertent, certainly I would doubt that it would be purposeful by the apostles. But the apostles were so busy in the ministry and the church was growing so exponentially that they were going to have to make some decisions on what their ministry priorities were. So leadership acted, second of all, leadership acted to arrive at a solution. Since the unity of the church is essential... They said, let's talk about a solution. Let's make sure we're being consistent and fair or just in the way that we are treating everyone within the church. And that's what we want to do here. We do not want to, God doesn't play favorites. We don't want to play favorites. We want to minister to needs. We don't want anybody to feel or to be neglected. And that's exact. So what did they do? Well, they, first of all, they acknowledged the problem. And then second of all, they acted to come to a solution. Now, the things in this outline that I'm sharing with you this morning are great dads and husbands to do within spiritual leadership within your own homes. Those of you that may own your own business, this is a great pattern. These principles work as being a a leader in whatever your business is. So they acknowledged the problem. And then they acted to arrive at a solution. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech or beg you that you walk worthy of the location wherewith ye are called, with, get this, with all lowliness and meekness. 
You know, the church here had a lowly, meek spirit in that they didn't ignore a problem. They were going to act on the problem. They wanted to meet it with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Hey, some of the widows are being neglected. That is wrong. We want to forbear one another in love. Some of us have been neglected. We still want to love those people and, and not speak against them, but we have needs and we need to speak up so we can be helped. Endeavoring, look at the verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what the apostles are doing here. So number three, though, leadership did not allow itself to become sidetracked. All right? Uh, the Bible says, um, hey, listen, we are going to, it's not proper for us to leave the ministry of the Word to serve tables. We're going to give ourselves continually to the ministry of the Word and of prayer. You know, there are many things that we do in and through the church that are important, but are not absolutely essential to ministry. So we must learn the difference between what is urgent and what is essential. We cannot allow that which is essential to be dictated by that which is apparently urgent. We should focus. We who are on the pastoral staff, we have our different aspects of ministry. But the apostles said, we are going to focus on the ministry of the word. For this is God's means of saving souls and transforming believers. 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We are about the ministry of the word. And that's why as the word of God is preached here as you hear it taught in Sunday school, as we have discipleship groups and all the different things that we're doing to try to minister to believers, to help you to grow in Christ. The Word of God is profitable for all of these things so that we can be taught the truth, so that we can be confronted by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God when we're wrong, then be corrected, repent and go the other way, and then to be instructed and equipped in righteousness, completely outfitted, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you ever go backpacking, go hiking, you better triple check what you've packed before you leave. Because you get eight or nine miles down the trail in the middle of the woods and going through fields and all that stuff and find that you forgot something essential, you're really, really going to regret it, right? And you need to make sure that you've got the essential things packed. And the essential thing that, that is in our life always needs to be in every Christian's backpack, if you will, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That thoroughly furnishes us or equips us to every good work. We not only want to teach you what the Word of God says and what it means and how to live it, we also want to relate to you how to minister the Word of God to other lives, whether it is the gospel, like Dania Darnell is having her evangelistic Bible study with some ladies in her neighborhood or others who have different ministries of opportunity. And think of John, John Henson and Ed, Ed Stanley and Val, and Val Castaria. They are doing a Bible study uh, with people at, war, at their work and trying to minister to law officers to give them the gospel. You know, that, that, is, that is a wonderful thing. And you know what, what works? It's the Word of God. And as we try to equip them with the Word of God so that they can give the gospel then the gospel is multiplied and that's what the apostles said here look we're not going to get sidetracked from the essentials which is the ministry of the word and of prayer 
1 Corinthians 1, 21, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that belief. What were they preaching? They were not, as Paul said, preaching themselves, but they were preaching Christ Jesus the Lord. We must pray, for God must work through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God by His Holy Spirit, or it's not going to accomplish anything. Just merely teaching and preaching the Word of God, unless the Holy Spirit is working in and through the teacher or the preacher and in the hearts of people. Listen, that's why we got to bathe this in prayer. It is not enough just to teach and preach the Word of God. We must pray that God will use His Word. We must pray for one another. We must pray for unbelievers that God would prepare their heart to hear the message of the Word of God. And so the apostles had no greater calling than to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. Was it beneath their dignity to serve tables and to administrate to the daily needs? No, they had been doing that. But as the church was growing, they were no longer able to do it effectively, and they saw that. Hey, anybody on our pastoral staff needs to be willing to do anything, whether it's cleaning toilets or vacuuming a floor or, or taking somebody to a doctor's appointment or whatever. But we neither can we become sidetracked from the essentials of the ministry of the Word of God and of prayer. When I first got here, one of the pieces of counsel that a man of God gave me was, look, there are certain things that only you as the pastor can do. Those are essential for you. Now, there's other things that you could do, but they would distract you from the essential things. So make sure you're doing the essential things. You can do some of the other things, but make sure that it's not to the neglect of the essential. And that's exactly what we see the apostles doing, the spiritual leadership doing here. We must pray for the ministry of the word, even as the apostle Paul begged the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, he said, finally, brethren, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. The idea there is of, an, of a river that's overflowed its banks and it's unstoppable and it's going everywhere. And he said, let pray for us that as we preach the, the word of God, that the ministry that God's Holy Spirit would take that ministry and it would just flood people's lives and it would impact thousands. And that God would be glorified even as he's been in you. We should... And here's another principle when it comes to the essential versus the urgent. We should focus on ministering to people more than on focusing on lesser things. Okay? So I want you to understand that, yes, we are doing an auditorium renovation. We are not sure of the start date. We might be starting February 20th. We might be starting March 20th. Those are two of the target dates that we're talking with the company to do this first step of our auditorium renovation, which is the platform lighting and the auditorium and balcony lighting. And so whenever that starts, that starts. And is that important? Absolutely. Understand, one of the reasons it's important is not only for those of you who are here in person, and some of you are almost in the dark, some of our lights have gone out, but it's also essential because we have a lot of folks that join us by way of live stream. And we don't want there to be anything that is hindering the ministry of the Word of God. But understand this, that we're not going to neglect having Bible studies and evangelistic outreach and other ministries and put all of our effort and all of our thinking and all of our passion and all of our resources into renovating this auditorium. Because this auditorium is just a tool. Now, we want to be good stewards of it. 
and we want to make it as effectual as a tool. That's why we're doing this auditorium. But you know what? It is just a thing. And someday, according to what the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, everything in this earth is going to be burned up with a fervent heat, including this church building. But you know, souls are forever. And so we need to make sure that in our priorities, that our focus is on ministering to people more than focusing on lesser things. It's not that lesser things are unimportant, folks. It's just that, and essential things are not the only important things, but the essential things must be taken care of. Why? Because God says they're essential. And then for leadership, delegated responsibility to other spiritual men. Look at the qualifications of these men. He say, hey, listen, wherefore, brethren, verse 3, look yet among you seven men of honest report. They've got a great reputation and testimony, not only among the 20-something thousand within the church, but in the community. They have a solid testimony and reputation. These are men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. These are men who are walking with God, walking in the Spirit. They are led of the Spirit of God. They are empowered by the Spirit of God. They're being transformed by the Spirit of God through the Word. And men of wisdom, they know how to apply biblical knowledge in a way that is pleasing to God and fulfills His mission. Whom we, they said, may appoint over this business. When it talks about the daily ministration, that is the same word in the Greek where we get the word deacon. In the English, deacon really is just a transliteration of the Greek word. And it means a, literally, it means a table waiter. Now when you go to a restaurant, you may have a waiter or a waitress but what, and there's also another more uh, used term in our modern usage of that person, and that is a server. And so that's what these guys are. They are servers. They are deacons. They were ones that were serving. There, was a, there were spiritual qualifications, but they were serving. This is, I believe, the nucleus star of the office of the deacon. There are spiritual prerequisites. There is the same thing as as what we find later in the New Testament. They were men that had wisdom. They were men who would administrate. I praise the Lord for our deacons. On the first Sunday of the month, we meet in my office at 8.15 and pray for our services and for our church. And this morning, a number of our deacons were in my office, along with our pastoral team, and we were praying. I thank the Lord for our deacons who, and that's why we have care groups, is so that our deacons can administrate help. Now, if you have seven deacons, right? He said, look at me, seven deacons, right? I mean, we appoint over this business. It means they were given an office of administration. Do you think seven deacons were going to be enough? If 12 apostles were not enough to meet the needs and make sure that everything was meted out in a just and fair manner? No. They then would delegate to others. Let me stop and talk about care groups for a minute. Care groups is not, we have a deacon and wife and an assistant care group leader, usually a deacon and wife, a former deacon and wife, so that when you have a need, they do all the work and fix all the meals and take everybody for the rides and take the dogs for a walk and etc. 
They will do that. And they will engage and be part of that. But they are given to administrate to you in the care group so that you can give a meal. And by the way, if you don't have the opportunity to fix a meal and take it to somebody when they need meals, there's this cool thing called DoorDash. Or Uber Eats. Okay, I want to be fair. Or Instacart. You can send groceries. You can be the one that gives a ride to somebody who needs a, a ride to the doctor or back. You can be the one who, who, uh, who takes their dog out for walks while they're several days in the hospital and makes sure the dog has dog food and water, whatever. See, that's why we have our care groups. They don't do all the... Deacons are not to do all the work, just like these deacons didn't do all the work. They did some of it, but they administrated it, and they recruited others alongside. That's why we have care groups. It is how we can love one another and how we can show our love to one another by serving one another. But these men were men that were full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and they had a servant's attitude, and they had a godly testimony. And you know, praise the Lord for our deacons. There are a lot of churches our size that could not legitimately have the same amount of qualified deacons that we have currently serving. And we have even more men in our church that are qualified to be deacons. And man, I'm just so thankful for that. Praise the Lord for that. And that will be hopefully a legacy for a long time of strong, godly leadership in the office of deacons. We know that it's an office, according to Philippians 1, 1, because Paul writes, it says, Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus Christ, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Bishop being an overseer, that be an elder, a pastor, okay? There are different words in the Greek to describe the office of a pastor. And then the other office that's mentioned here is deacons. And so we know and understand from other passages of scripture that this is a spiritual office and it is an office of spiritual leadership, but it is an office of serving. We're all folks, we're all saved to serve. I got the opportunity in 2014 to go to Kenya. And in Kenya, there is a guy that that we went with his name was Chuck Mattis. Chuck Mattis uh, is now a pastor in West Virginia. But for 15 years, he was a missionary in Kenya. Because of his wife's health issues, they had to come back to the United States, and that's why he now pastors in West Virginia. But he goes to Kenya almost every year. And when we were with Chuck Mattis, we traveled all through Kenya, my dad and I, and a team from his church. And for two and a half weeks or so, we traveled and we taught and we preached, and we got to have a lot of incredible ministry opportunities. One of the places we went was one of the preacher boys uh, that Chuck Mattis had really had a a hand in in discipling him and training him. And he was a pastor and he had just planted a new church. And he was so excited to show Chuck Mattis uh, this new church building with this new church plant of folks. And so when we parked, we parked around the backside of the building and then we walked around to the front. And I believe the pastor did that on purpose to surprise Chuck Mattis because when he came around the front, over the name of the church was this sign that said, Life is for service. That was one of Chuck Mattis' mottos that he taught his people. Look, God didn't just save you so that you can just die and go to heaven someday. God has saved you so that you can serve him. Serve him with your life. 
Serve him in the cause of the gospel. Serve him in helping other Christians to grow. Life is for service. If you ever come to, over to our house, look over our front door and you will see a sign, life is for service. It is not only the deacons who are to serve or a few people that are willing to in a care group. All of us are to serve. Life is for service. And then fifth, leadership stayed focused on the essentials and God prospered the unified church. The problem was acknowledged, it was addressed, it was administrated, and the unity of the church then promoted the unhindered ministry of the word and led to more growth. Look with verse 7. We're going to look at verse 7 next week, as part of our, or two weeks, as part of our next message. I'm going to take a break next week from our series. And then we'll get back to it in two weeks. But in verse 7, the Bible says, And the word of God increased. Why do you think Luke related it here? Well, because the Spirit of God inspired him to write it here. But it's within the context of this passage. I believe that if the apostles had not taken this problem seriously and acknowledged it, and then took action to address it, and then administrated a godly men to take care of it, that the church would have really struggled in growth. But because being led of the Spirit and being obedient to the Spirit and using the wisdom that God had granted to them, they did these things and followed this pattern, then it caused that the work of the ministry to be unhindered and the church kept growing and the gospel kept on spreading. What was the secret of this amazing growth? The leaders were willing to pay any price to serve Christ. We saw that as all of the apostles were beaten, commanded not to preach anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did they do? They went right back out because, as Peter said, on behalf of all the apostles, we ought to serve God rather than men. And they've been given the great commission, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they went right back to the synagogue, I mean, to the temple, and they went right back uh, into houses, and they kept on daily, consistently preaching the gospel, discipling believers, doing that work of the ministry. In spite of the opposition they faced, they were willing to pay the price to fulfill the great commission. The, this account is a good pattern for us as we look at the last half of chapter 5 in these first few verses of chapter 6. There was daily Christian service. Daily they ministered from house to house. On a regular basis they went up to, to the temple. It was continuous. Uh, it was servicing God's house up at the temple area. It was service from house to house. Work from every member. Continuous, continuous serving and teaching and preaching of the word. And Jesus Christ was exalted Godly pastors and deacons alone cannot make the church grow. Every member must do his or her part. We as leadership must be right. We as a pastoral staff have to be walking in the spirit. We have to be men that are filled with the word of God. We need God to continually give us wisdom for our own personal lives, to lead our families, and to minister and to lead this church and to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Our deacons also understand as godly, spirit-led men who meet the biblical qualifications for deacon, they understand their responsibility to minister and to help serve the church so that it can be strengthened and equipped. But that does not mean that if you're not on the pastoral staff or one of the deacons, that all you do is come and sit. As one preacher said, some Christians, all they do is they come and they sit and they soak and they stew and they sour. <coughs> That's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to come and to sit and to soak and to stew. That is, as the conviction builds and as we begin to understand what God wants us to do. But then God wants to squeeze us out like you take a sponge that's full of water and squeeze us out because God has called us to serve. Life is for service. What are you doing for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you serving the Lord in any capacity through Berean Baptist Church? You say, I don't know what to do. Come and see one of us pastors talk to one of the deacons. We'll get you busy. We'd love for you to serve here. There are capacities in which you can serve. And I know not only or exclusively through Berean Baptist Church, because Berean Baptist Church is not the, end, the entirety of the kingdom of God. There are other opportunities and avenues of ministry. But we at Berean Baptist Church and as a church family are wanting to promote the gospel and build, make and build disciples uh, through this ministry. And every Christian should be a part. So let me encourage you that. Men as leaders, moms as leaders within the home, acknowledge the problems, take action to arrive at a solution, delegate responsibility or administrate responsibility among those who have some spiritual maturity and stay focused on the essentials. And God will prosper your ministry, whether it's to your family, whether it's in your community, at your place of work or business, or within this church. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Father, we must be about your business. The night is coming when no man can work. We don't know when our last day on earth is going to be or when you're going to return in the rapture. Help us, Lord, to be faithful now. And Lord, would you help us as Berean Baptist Church when there is a legitimate concern to acknowledge it, to take action, to come to a solution, to administrate it to spiritual godly people, to keep focusing on the essentials. And all of us who are essential parts of the body of Christ have been given spiritual gifts. We are all unique members within the one body. Help each of us to function properly that we together may accomplish the commission, the great commission, and the personal mission that you have for each one of us. Well, Lord, all of it begins with a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And maybe there's somebody here this morning in our auditorium or watching by way of live stream that has never had that experience of being convinced by the Spirit of God that they are a sinner condemned to eternal death, but understanding, Jesus Christ, that you are God, that you love them, that you died and shed your blood and buried and rose again. They have never had that experience of transferring their trust from themselves or anything else and put their faith only in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. 
as the means of the forgiveness of their sin and their only expectation of eternal life. May this be the day because you have said in your word that now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And for those of us who have been redeemed through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we who have been saved by grace through faith, may we walk in your grace and in your wisdom. Help us, Lord, as a church to do things in a way that is pleasing to you and biblically correct and accurate and right. May we love one another. May we equip us so we can meet each need. Show us, Lord, what we are missing so that we can be pleasing to you and edifying to the body of Christ. Now, Lord, we pray that in our invitation time where we bow our heads and just personally respond to you in our seats, we ask for you to do a lasting work, a life-transforming work. May each one of us take the step that you show us we need to take today towards you and towards more obedience. Our heads are bowed. In just a minute, our pianist is going to play through a couple of stanzas of an invitation song. We're not going to have a come forward invitation this morning. I just want you to sit right there where you are and allow the Spirit of God to help you evaluate how quick are you to acknowledge problems in your own life or in your family or in your sphere of leadership. Are you seeking to actively come to a solution or would you rather avoid it or ignore it? Or if you have taken those first two steps, maybe there's something you need to learn about administration and delegation. And may the Spirit of God give you wisdom as you pray through that to be able to trust others also with responsibility. And maybe you've kind of gotten off of the focus and you've allowed the urgent to become the dictator of your life instead of the essential things found in the Scriptures. Then as our musician plays our hymn of invitation, even right now, would you do business with God? If you're not sure where your soul would spend eternity, would you just ask God, say, God, I'm concerned about my soul. There's some things I still don't understand or aren't clear to me. Would you shine the light of truth in my heart so that I can understand? And just pray that right now. Sincerely mean it. God will give you that guidance. And then at the end of the service, I'll be back in the connection point. Come back, see me. We'll sit down in that privacy of the connection point there, just off to the side of the foyer. I'll open up the Word of God and show you the way of salvation. If you're a lady, I'll have my wife take the Word of God and help you from the Word of God. I will introduce you to Jesus Christ, and you can put your faith in Him. Those that are watching by way of live stream, if you'd like to call into the church office, or stop by when you have opportunity, we'd love to minister to your needs as well. Don't ignore the most important decision you will ever make, and that is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've made that, you have made that decision. You're in Christ. Now let's move forward as God has so prospered us and directed us. So our pianist begins to play.